great to be together once again back in Ecclesiastes. We will primarily be in chapter 6 tonight, although we'll kind of start just at the end of chapter 5 again. We have what I think is a little bit of an unfortunate chapter break, and though I'm just following along with the chapter breaks and in the text as far as week to week with our study, um, I think bringing the last couple verses in from chapter 5 will be helpful to us. I'll reread those, and then we will kind of dive in. Let's see if my little magic clicker is up here. Yep. And then we'll move into chapter 6, which if you've read already, if you looked at some of your questions to prepare, um, some of those questions we may get to, maybe some new questions. You had no idea we're coming tonight. You may notice it doesn't feel like a lot of new concepts or new talking points in chapter 6. You kind of read this, and it feels a little bit like I've heard this before. Maybe in some of the exact words, Solomon, you've said this before in this book. And if not in those words, maybe in themes or concepts, some are to be expressed. But I think we have a lot to talk about in this chapter. You will inform me if I'm right or not by how much we talk about it, I guess. We'll see. Let me, re let me rewind, starting in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 18. I'll read the, the end of chapter 5 there, and then we'll kind of jump in here. Starting in verse 18. Behold, the preacher says, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And so we're talking about work. We're talking about the things that can come from work, the rewards, the blessings, um, the gifts from God, and we're talking about enjoying those things and finding pleasure in them, and that that is good. Solomon says that this, this is good. Everyone also to whom God's given wealth, possessions, power, enjoy them, he says. And we read that, and I think we read it last week, and we're like, sounds good to me. I like that. This is, this is one of those sections where we're like, you don't have to tell me twice, Solomon. Like, no struggle here. I'm on board. Let's do it. Okay, and now we're going to come into chapter 6 here. And the preacher, Solomon, he's going to shine a spotlight on something for us. I know I said chapter 6 doesn't necessarily have new ideas or concepts, but it's presented in a little bit of a different way, maybe a little bit of a unique way or a more focused way. Solomon has already been talking to us for several chapters about difficult things under the sun, um, sad things, sorrowful things, hardships, things that when they happen, it makes it, makes it feel, you feel like it'd be better if I was never born. We're well acquainted with those concepts, and yet we're going to reach for some different language here in, in chapter 6, because he's going to say, okay, I've talked about all these things. But I want to talk to you about something else. There is an evil. 
So the preacher is really going to single out something. We're going to spend special time on just one particular thing for a moment. There is an evil that I want to talk to you about, Solomon says, and it lies heavy on mankind. Does anyone have any other, in that, in that verse one, any other kind of translations other than it lies heavy on mankind? You can kind of shout them out. Yeah. It's common. Yeah, any, sorry, what's that? Prevalent. It's prevalent. It's common. With any others? I think those are the most two things that I found. And those aren't exactly the same. It's a little bit different interpretation of that language. Because someone could say something lies heavy, like it's weighing mankind down. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which could be an impact, it's weighing mankind down, and that it has a devastating effect on mankind. Or it could be more along with it being prevalent or common, it's just everywhere. Like it, it lies heavy everywhere. It's everywhere that you look, this is happening. Um, remember that, that will be interesting to come back to. This is vanity, and so this is not new. This is, we've, we've used this language a lot already in the book. But he's quick to tell us, like, this is also vain. This is also fruitless. It's also grasping after wind, meaningless, those terms that we've been using. And then he's going to tell us, it's not just an evil. It is a grievous evil. Uh, he has talked about some things that are evil, some things that are good in the book up to this point, but he is reaching for some extremes here. This is a grievous evil. When you hear the word grievous, what does that make you think of? What does that mean when we use the term grievous, when we are talking about anything? It causes great sadness. Beyond maybe disappointment, beyond inconvenience, great sadness. Bitter consequences. Very good. Severe affliction. I think that's a good, good comparison as well. If you suffer grievous bodily harm, where do you go? You go to the urgent care. Probably not. That's, that's a hospital situation, right? It's, it's severe. It has, that's bitter consequences. Your life maybe is in the balance. Grievous bodily. This is, we are using language to really underscore, this is really, really bad. This thing that I saw that I want to talk to you about, the preacher says. So we're really gassed up now to be like, what are you talking about, Solomon? This grievous thing, it lies heavy on mankind. What is it? And he will tell us what it is. In verses 1 through 6, he will describe some things to us. And I think we might spend most of our class in this collection of verses tonight. Maybe not. We might move quickly through it. We'll find out together. Let's talk about it. What is the evil, the grievous evil, that's mentioned here? What do you find that is evil here in your reading of verse, verses 1 through 6? His soul is not satisfied with the life of the 
Okay. Janita says, the soul is not satisfied with life's good things. Any other things that, you, that we find as evil here? What's it say? Life is not like you think it's going to be. to them back in those days to be buried with the fathers. And so all these things that we hold dear here on the earth uh, can vanish, regardless of how hard we've worked. And even when we work, we've got to work tomorrow to eat. And we've got to work the next day to eat. And so life is unpredictable. And we shouldn't uh, put all of our hope in retaining what we have, because just as God gave it, not only God, but just the natural things of life, uh, the natural work that came as a curse to Adam and Eve, to man, all of these things uh, are part of life. And sometimes they're grievous, things that happen. Okay, very good answer there from Bruce. Um, any other thoughts? I think there's more. You may have different ideas. I mean... I. What does it say? Who is willing to read what it says here and wrestle with that? Go ahead, John. So you've gained wealth, but then you don't have the opportunity to benefit from it. Yeah, I get wealth, I get stuff, and then I don't, I don't get anything out of it, right? Someone else does, in fact, but not me. Okay. Yeah, Mitch. I think the uh, one idea that goes with that is the idea of expectation not meeting reality. So... It says in, in verse 2, you're given all these good things by God. And so because I've been given all these good things by God, the expectation would be that I can enjoy them, right? But then it follows it up with, but a foreigner has them. You don't get, you're not empowered to enjoy them, right? You don't have the ability to enjoy them. Someone else has them now, okay? Later on, it says, uh, you know, the... Um, what, uh, my, his soul is not satisfied with good things. He does not even have a proper burial, right? You have this expectation of, I have these good things. My children should bury me in a proper place, but then that is not met. Reality is something different. And, uh, and so there's a, a disconnect there. Thank you. Thank you. Again, speaking to that expectations versus reality versus what, Hey, God gave me all these things, and yet all that stuff in verses 18 and on in chapter 5, how good it is for me to have these things, for me to enjoy these things. It's God's gift. Now, in this situation, this, this individual is not, is not able to do that. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Sorry. I just have a question about, is it a literal sense of? children or is it just like I guess metaphorical you're talking about in verse 3 if a man fathers a hundred children yeah. um, is that supposed to be a literal or 
I I think it's it's maybe both. I don't think the number I don't think the number 100 is literal, but I think the concept of children and legacy is literal. So, I mean, what if children are important, what could be more important than 100? You know, it's like more children than anyone could have, more legacy than anyone could have. So, again, using extreme examples to kind of to show some some positive wealth which children would be a wealth back then as well not just from a monetary sense but from a good blessing sense um everyone who has answered yeah tony so uh, i'll take a stab at what is the evil so i you know i know um mitch had kind of mentioned something about you know I guess I'd approach it from a different angle. So considering that we may acquire or be blessed with things that we can enjoy is certainly maybe a consequence. I think that the evil, right, so the, the active agent in the equation is more to the emphasis. And you can see that like in, in verse 6, right? So we all, don't we all go to the same place? And I think that there's a tendency, you know, we, we are both physical and spiritual beings. And I think that, you know, he talks about the, the short duration of our life and it's the emphasis or the pursuit in things. So God blesses us, but usually those are maybe an expediency, you know, to allow us to bless others. But if we get caught up in enjoying those things or consuming them, that's the fleshly part of us. That's the evil, right? And so we're really meant to be a conduit for those blessings, you know? And, and so just to, just to throw one in the pot there. No, I like it. I'll kind of bring in, you know, you've already taken us there with this question. We, we, the class has answered in some ways what they think the evil is that's happening mentioned here. Um, think about why is this evil? Is, we got a comment back here. Um, is Solomon telling the truth? Is this an evil thing? What we're describing, is it evil? Is it a grievous evil, what we've described? You don't have to just answer that, whatever you had. <laughs> well, to me, I, I kind of went back, you know, within the thing you followed up at the end of chapter five. And in verse, there's a contrast to me in 519 verses 6-2. In 519, God has given wealth and the power to enjoy them to some, and it's a blessing. And yet here, he scratches his head and said, God has given now the same person the power to get wealth, yet, on the opposite, God has not given the power to enjoy them. So it is a, it's a total opposite within a few verses of is what he's observing and what he's seeing. And I just kind of thought of it as a head scratcher. Like, how do I figure this out? <laughs> it is, right? And Mr. David has taken us kind of to, I don't know that anyone who answered earlier was actively, I'm not saying you were actively avoiding that part of the verse, but that is part of the verse in which the contradiction or the discomfort comes where we say, God gives wealth, possession, honor, so this man lacks nothing, all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy it. Someone else does. And this is a grievous evil. So we'll kind of open up the full scope of our wrestling. 
So whose fault is this, this grievous evil? Because God has a piece in this we've, we've uncovered that Solomon is saying. In fact, it's a pretty big piece. All right, well, I guess the way I see this, verse 3, the man fathers a hundred children, lives many years. That's something that we would, most of us, just from a, an earthly standpoint, that's something we would desire. That would say he's been very successful, right? Yep. And then the rest of that verse, but his soul is not satisfied with good things. So whether we had a hundred children or no children, our soul can be satisfied with what God has blessed us with. But if it's not, it doesn't matter how much you have. It's going to wind up being evil, and you're, as he says, no better than the miscarriage, meaning be better if you had not existed, if you'd never come into this world, if you can't be satisfied with the things that God has blessed you with. Okay. Not where you were headed, but... You don't know. What I saw. You don't know. <laughs> I play it close to the vest there. Chris, I'm coming over to you. It reminds me of the, uh, uh, the parable that Jesus told of the, the farmer who had so many crops, he was going to make all these plans to... Um, tear down his barns and build bigger barns because he's going to have so much and then he'll be he'll be good right he'll be yep. done working um, I, I think who is at fault we are at fault God provides what he wills to provide not necessarily what we expect and that's been hit on before but um, yeah it's it's on us to be thankful for what we have each day Oh, it's well said, and it pairs well with what Eric was telling us. You know, this is not meant to be like, oh, surprise, like we've uncovered. God's made a mistake, and we've, we've uncovered it in the Ecclesiastes 6 here. It's, it's a situation where we know what it's not saying, but just reading it sure sounds like it's saying God's doing something unfair. God's doing something evil. If you just read this out of the blue, if you had, if you had no biblical background, you read this, you'd be like, it, it seems like God is doing the wrong thing. He gives you all this stuff, but does not give you the power to enjoy it. That doesn't seem right. And that's kind of the key piece, I think, to wrestle with this passage. So we've talked about it's on us. It's our own desires. It's our own satisfaction? What, what do we find satisfaction in? Um, is it in all, all these things or just desiring more of them? And so, so what is, do you think, that peace? God does not give him the power to enjoy it. What do you think that is saying, perhaps? Solomon is not ever satisfied and, and I, I, I really believe he's talking, he doesn't, he may not know he's talking about himself but I think he is I think that's well said um, I think he might know as well I, that's interesting, you know I talked about we've had some of these concepts already um, someone who has a comment there's a comment over here somewhere oh go ahead man I'll come in and it's like reading the first few chapters 
I don't remember if it was in this class. I participated in one of the, the college classes um, for Ecclesiastes as well. And there was a mention of um, like the laws, like the natural order of the world and of what God has created and instated. And I think when it's mentioned that God has set this law in place and that it can be considered an evil, it reminds me of Romans chapter 4, I believe, where it, it talks about like sin being transgression of the law cannot exist that the law does not exist. So God creating this law in which a, a person cannot enjoy these physical things that he is blessed with that um, allows uh, the opportunity for this person to do something sinful. And I think that's what this is saying, in my opinion. Oh, I like that. I, I think um, I'm going to come back to that real quick. I'm going to do this, then I'm going to come back here if I can remember. I, I agree with you on the self-portrait part, right? Because I think in chapter 2, Solomon talks about himself saying, I, I was going through this and I was looking at my work and I saw I was going to go to someone else and I just despaired in the value of work and it was vanity. And so he kind of, he shares like, I went through this in chapter two. I saw this going on and it, I was real sad about it. And I just threw up my hands. I got frustrated by the vanity of it. And now we're kind of just stating the facts in chapter six, that thing that he's kind of introduced personally in chapter two. Back to this comment yeah, in a big, big way, I mean, does anything happen without God's approval? I mean, nothing happens without his design and his approval. Uh, consider in, in the book of Job. We, we bring up Job a lot, right? Um, chapter 1 like, highlights, you know, Satan has an audience with God, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, he only worships you because you take such good care of him. And then God says that Satan can do some things to Job. You, you can take away some of those things. Here's what you can't do. Here's what you can do to affect his life. And all that stuff happens. Satan does, he, he leaves and he goes and does that stuff. And then he's back. In chapter 2, right? Satan's back talking to God again. And then God says something really interesting to Satan. He says, why did you incite me against Job? And you read chapter 1, you say, God didn't do anything to Job. Satan did all that stuff to Job. And yet, unless God allows it, Satan's not capable to do those things to Job. God has permitted him to go do those things. He has allowed it. And God says, you incited me. This thing. I'll take credit for what happened. I allowed it to happen. And so there's nothing that occurs without God's approval. Bruce, come in here before I... I ask this question just, just out of curiosity because mm -hmm. as I read uh, verse 4... Uh, it talks about, I think, a particular type of person that this may apply to, even though it said, he says it's common. For he comes in with vanity and departs in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. To me, this, this is someone who comes in with a vanity of, look at me, 
Certainly Solomon could do that with all of the wondrous things that he built, including the temple, his notoriety for his wisdom, uh, even with the uh, Queen of Sheba, uh, all of his wondrous writings and things. But this seems to be a man in verse 4, the type of man that is content with that and doesn't seek to gain any wisdom, doesn't seek to do anything with it, like my brother mentioned uh, the parable in Luke. The rich man said, I've got all I need. Now I can take life easy and eat and drink and be merry. Uh, perhaps, I hope I didn't muddy the waters, but perhaps that's who Solomon is talking about, someone who is stagnant and stuck in the, in the earthly good that he has been given uh, the one who says, you know, I did all this rather than give glory to God. No, I don't think that muddies it at all. I think we're heading down kind of hopefully towards the path of clarity here, right? Because now we're establishing, okay, we're describing the type of person that this is. And we've already kind of established this is pretty common. This actually happens a lot. And so... It's not something that's rare. In fact, this is maybe the norm. This happens more often than not, which might be surprising. We say, oh, this is grievous evil. This guy has all this stuff, but God doesn't allow him to enjoy it. And yet we're seeing maybe it's a certain type of person. So I don't think it muddies the waters at all. Yeah. Regarding this evil that is in question, I think of it as worldly envy. I mean, it, it talks about in verse 3 that um, he's not satisfied with life's good things, whether it's possessions and riches or whether it's a large family or whether it's a long life. Whatever in this life or in this world one could envy or pursue or strive for, if that's your only goal, you'll never be satisfied with that. God has put within all mankind a void. When you look through every society through the history of man, they are always serving some sort of deity. They are looking for a deity. They are looking for a God. And that is the only place we could find that true satisfaction. It's not in this world. And so I, I look at that as, as what is the evil? It is worldly envy of whatever this world can provide. Great. I think it's a, a great response. Yeah. I think just hearing everything that's been said to this point has got me thinking, going back to the beginning part of it, of this, this person who has, has all this riches and wealth and honor and stuff. Well, God allows unjust people to, to have that stuff as well. But going looking at the aspect that he may not grant them the ability to enjoy it and to the person that is not walking with God, one who is not righteous would look at that as an unjust thing, right? And then it, then it's followed up by, you know, verses three and four. I think it's somewhat alluding to what Bruce was talking about the description of this person. Um, but then two, you know, the the aspect of, you know, um, where he says, and "I say that a stillborn child is better than he," you know, this type of person. And I, I think, you know, when we look at Especially, as Bruce pointed out, the person in verse 4, to me, would be the type of person who's not walking with God, right? And then you reference back to the latter part of verse 3, you know, it, it sort of takes me back to when Jesus said, you know, talks about the one who, who turns his back on God would be, you know, better if he's never born, 
right? So that I sort of look at those together as, you know, yeah, those, there are people in this world that may be evil, walking in darkness, whatever. They may have all this earthly gain, but are not able to enjoy it because where does our true joy come from? And, you know, that's why they can't enjoy it because they're not enjoying it in God. Very good. I want to ask another maybe pointed question while we're still thinking about this. Um, how do I want to phrase this? Um, I don't know. It left. That's all right. Maybe we'll come back. Um, a quick tangent, as I, I'm, I'm slowly steering us to a place I'd like us to land, but this is good because I think we're heading there naturally as well. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God. Okay, we got Pharaoh, God, someone saying both. All correct. Good job. Um, yeah, the scripture says all of these things. I think three times in Exodus, God says, I'm going to do this. Um, I think six times the scripture says, so God hardened his heart. Seven other times, I think it, it is, is passively, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and it's implied by God. And you get three times where Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It's kind of stated explicitly. Um, are those distinct incidences, do you think? Like, did Pharaoh get in late in the game, do it a few times, but God was really the one doing it most of the time? Or are these all the same thing, do you think? And I'm, I'd love to know what you think. Since I have a mic. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you're dealing with an all-powerful God, who's to say that God couldn't use Pharaoh's own desires and knew Pharaoh's own desires to allow Pharaoh to harden his own heart by the things that are said and the things that are being done? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's completely accurate. God says, I'm going to do things and that they're going to cause Pharaoh's heart to be hardened because it, instead of becoming sturdy like clay, he's going to melt like wax. I mean, that's the opposite, but that's the, that's the concept, right? The same thing can happen, and it depends on the, sub, the material of what the outcome will be. And Pharaoh was the kind of person that became obstinate when things didn't go his way. He became intransigent and didn't want to listen. And so God is doing things, but as God forcing a pharaoh who's like, I'm ready to let these people go. I understand that they're your people and Moses is your servant. Please let them go. And God says, no, we've only done three plagues. Like, I got to see this through. None of us would say that's what's happening, that pharaoh's prevented from obeying the command of God, but he is hardened by what God is doing. He's hardened by the way God is managing the situation, maybe, uh, to say that. Ah, I've, I've got it back. I've got my, my question back. Why? Sorry, you guys are entertaining me very well. This is the heart of this chapter. The other verses are important, but they, this is the heart of this chapter. And this is, for those that are, that are ready to talk about chapter 12, the doors opening in this chapter for those concepts. We're already getting glimpses to that chapter. Why is it better to not even be born than to have a bunch of things and not be able to enjoy them? Mitch, you have the microphone. 
The idea of a miscarriage being better than someone who is born and has experienced life and reached the end, I think, you know, is the idea of someone who has seen nothing. They don't know what they've missed. They don't know what they should have enjoyed. They don't know, they don't have regrets, right? Uh, a miscarriage has none of those expectations, doesn't know what it's missed, doesn't, hasn't gone through any of that. It, but the one who has been born and has had all those things would have regret, right? At the end, they may have regret. They would know what they've missed. They would know what, they would have had expectations that didn't meet those things. They would have, you know, regret and all those different uh, things. They would lack that satisfaction. And that, I think, is, is the point that's being made, is it's better for you just to have never known than for you to know these different things or had these expectations and them to not be fulfilled. And I think that ties into, you know, your point that you made about Pharaoh and the point being made here is that God has given them all these things, but what can God not give you? God can't give you satisfaction. God can't give you contentment because satisfaction, being satisfied and being content is a choice that the individual has to make. And because of free will, God can't make that on your behalf. That's something that the individual has to make in and of themselves. I think it's very well said. We'll take the microphone from you now. If, if, if you want, if it's a hot potato and you want to get rid of it. Jesus said the same thing about Judas. It would be better that this man had not been born. Mm -hmm. And we look at his life, how it ended suddenly and tragically and all of the things he missed. He was one of the disciples of Christ. He had the teachings of Christ. He had the knowledge of the kingdom. He had been given all the same things the other apostles had. But I think it's uh, noted that he liked to pilfer from the purse, that he sought the wealth of this life and the notoriety and all the things that are described here in, and uh, came to the real realization of uh, what he had done, and rather than repent, he chose the other thing. It was a tragic thing. So this idea that is mentioned in other places in the Scripture of it's better not to have been born uh, is a very heavy, heavy comment. It definitely is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some of my own thoughts. You guys have been really kind to entertain this discussion um, because I think it's worth this much wrestling with because it it is easy I think to read these verses and to read someone saying man it's really sad when someone has a lot of money but they don't get to enjoy it and just it just goes to someone else and that's so sad it's so if they had someone they could have like they had all this money and they had all this stuff and they didn't get to do anything with it they just they died and they just went to someone else and that's so unfair and we just I feel real bad about that. And that's a way to interpret this. But I think through our discussion, we are finding this is a, we are hitting on a deeper concept than just that. The, the, the term here, go ahead and come in actually, Jonathan, before I go. Just a, just a thought. There is something that God will do because of his goodness. He gives what is good to the evil and the good. And... You know, it makes me think of Deuteronomy 32, where he was pointing ahead to a time where he would make the people drink the, the fatness of the land. 
And what that caused for them was that they grew fat, and this puts it this way, they, they kicked. And um, they turned everything that should have been good, uh, blessing of the Lord, into a means of rebelling against him. And um, I wonder if that touches on some of the ways in which, um, you know, we see chapter 5, chapter 6, God blessing two different kinds of people, it seems, and um, two different reactions out of that. Oh, I appreciate that. The, the term or the Hebrew term for this part that God does not give power to enjoy them. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can look it up. Um, it's the term shalat, and it really just translates to have power over. Now, the translators have kind of filled in what they, what they believe to be the, the meaning that God does not give this person the power to enjoy these things. But what it literally says is God does not give them the power over these things that they have. And he says, and that is a great, that's a grievous evil. But I think we've established it's not God doing the evil thing here. There's something about this man that he's causing this to happen. And I'll offer up maybe someone that serves as a nice example where we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, when God is creating everything and he creates man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. In verse 28, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, have power over all of this. And they don't, ultimately. They are ruled over in a sense, by creation, by what they'd like to do with part of the creation, they do not fulfill what God's commanded them to do, ultimately, Adam and Eve, right? They do not do that. They do not fulfill the very purpose that God gives them as soon as they are created in his image, telling them, this is what you exist for, to in my image have dominion over all these things. And I think we see in this passage a man who is bumping up against the hard truth that God has put into place under the sun when we read last week that he who loves money is not satisfied by money. And that man that has all these things but is envious of wealth and wants more and wants more, that man is incapable to enjoy this wealth. God is not making him unable to do so, but he is the type of person that God does not allow to enjoy these things because he wants more. He's, he's the person that we've read about up to this point. He sees his neighbor as his enemy, as his rival. He's not satisfied with money. He needs more. He needs bigger barns. He's got barns. He needs bigger barns. He's the same character that pops up in scripture all the time that has all these blessings and he does not allow himself to be satisfied. And Solomon says that is a grievous evil. What this man is doing when it comes to this wealth and to these riches. And someone like this, it's better that person had never been born. And I think we established in some ways from some of the comments that, 
Yeah, because he, he has this meaningless life and he's stressed and he, does, he finds no relief. And someone that's never been born or someone that is stillborn, they don't have that sorrow and that pain. But this man is also not doing what he is here to do, which is to enjoy the things God has given him and give glory to God for the things that he has. So if he's not going to do that, what is the point of him? Ultimately, this is a this is a heavy section of this book, and it's one that we read that I think and we're like, that's that's some guy on Wall Street. You know, we read it as like that's this is like a super rich guy, and he's just not satisfied by anything. But I think as we have wrestled, we've spent almost the whole class on this section, which I promised or threatened you that we would do. You pick. We can find ourselves in here if we start to say, am I the person that refuses to be satisfied with what God has given me? Am I the, do I refuse to find enjoyment, no matter how big, no matter how small, whatever measure of wealth, possessions, honor that God has blessed me with, am I deciding I can't because I need more? I'm not happy with this. And if we are that person then the spirit through Solomon has harsh words, then again, what is the point of you? It's better that you were not here because you are not doing what you are here to do, which is where we are really starting to crack open the door thematically to where we're going to end up at the end of this book. As we have wrestled with, through a lot of chapters of under the sun, it's not, it's not satisfying in this way. It won't provide for you here. You won't find enjoyment, fulfillment here. But we're starting, starting to pivot in some subtle ways that purpose outside of the sun, and we've talked about this already to a degree, right? That that is more so where we can find actual fulfillment. There's more in this chapter. There are more verses, right? There's 7 through 12. And again, they are very similar to some thoughts that we have talked about before. Wisdom, and you have to wrestle with, wait, is Solomon out on wisdom again? He, sometimes he talks about how it's valuable, and now he says, you know, what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? I'll leave that to you to wrestle with more. And we will probably try to dive back into those verses next week because we're going to talk more about wisdom and folly. So I'll just pat myself on the back and act like I didn't intend to like finish the chapter tonight. And there's always the plan to save it for next week. So thank you, everyone, for the comments. Thank you for wrestling with what I think is a pretty heavy, heavy part of the book. But we're, we're uncovering some, some truths here. And I appreciate everyone's participation. Thank you.